I'd like to have a special moment with the children. If you're here in the sanctuary, you can come forward. And this is closed right now for communion, so we have to go all the way around and come and join me up here. And if you're worshiping from home, just move a little closer to the screens. We'll wave at you. There we go. Come on up. You can come through here. Come on up. Yeah, you've got it right. Come on up. Yay, look at everybody. Come on up. We'll have a seat right up here with me. So glad to see all of you. Come on up. I have a seat. Yes, thanks for helping with communion today. All right. Well, Mr. Rob just read for us one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. And it's about Jesus with his disciples. And they have just finished dinner together. And Jesus knows that he is about to be arrested. And he's about to die on the cross. And we're going to be hearing that story in a couple of weeks before Easter Sunday when he is resurrected. But what he does with them at that dinner is he goes around and he washes all of their feet. And that's not something we do very often in today, but back then it was something that people had to do a lot because they wore sandals and they walked on dirty roads and their feet were probably really dirty and they got blisters and calluses and I'm sure their feet were not very pretty. And those disciples might have been a little embarrassed that Jesus was seeing their feet. In fact, we didn't hear it in what Mr. Rob read, but one of the disciples, Peter, tried to stop Jesus, saying, no, you don't need to wash my feet. And he kind of wanted to hide his feet from Jesus. But Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet and all of their feet. Jesus didn't want them to feel like they had to hide anything from him. And that's how he loves us too. He loves us so much that there's nothing we need to hide from Jesus. He loves every single part of you. There's nothing we have to be ashamed of or embarrassed about. So I hope that you know that Jesus loves every single thing about you and just loves you and accepts you just as you are. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for loving us so much, loving us no matter what. And there's nothing we ever have to hide from you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. All right. If you're three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Brandon to Children's Church. And if you're older, you can go back and sit with family or friends. And Pastor Maggie, too. It is such a joy every Sunday to sit up here with these children. It's been a joy recently to have so many babies being baptized in the life of our congregation. And when I talk with parents who are getting ready to bring their babies or their children up for baptism, many of them are worried that their baby's going to cry. 
that they're going to get up here and the baby's going to be fussy. And especially at the 11 o'clock service, you know, when you're getting toward feeding time and all the things that can happen, they're just worried that their baby's going to cry. And so I always tell them, first of all, any of us who are parents, we've all been there, we understand. Second of all, if you can't cry in church, where can you cry? And third of all, no matter what happens up here, this is something that brings our congregation tremendous joy, that we have a new person to welcome into the church family. Baptisms are moments of great joy for us as a congregation. But we know that they're more than that. As we gather around a family that's bringing a child for baptism, or as we gather around a a person who's coming forward for baptism, we not only have great joy, we have great responsibility. Because we understand that baptism is a three-part covenant. The first part of the covenant is what God gives to us. Baptism is, is an acknowledgement, an outward sign of what is already true that God loves us unconditionally, that God pours out upon us what we Methodists love to call prevenient grace, grace that is given to us before we understand it, before we claim it, it's just already ours. So the first part of the covenant is God's unconditional love for us. The second piece of the covenant comes from the person being baptized or the family that brings them forward. And they answer the questions of the faith that we've been studying and exploring together these past few weeks. If they're parents, they promise to raise their child in the faith and to set an example of Christian life. And then there's the third piece of the covenant, and that's all of us. The congregation makes a vow and a promise. That's one reason why in the Methodist church we don't do private baptisms, except under very extenuating circumstances. Because the congregation, the body of Christ, needs to be present. And you know the question. If you've been worshiping here for the past few weeks, you've heard it a few times. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include this person now before you in your care? And then we answer, and I bet some of you could do this by heart, with God's help. We will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this person with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in service and so forth. Nurture one another. Include the new Proclaim the good news. Live according to the example of Christ. Surround one another with a community of love and forgiveness. Ooh, there is so much to unpack. And it's a communion meditation, so i got to keep this short. So I would invite you, honestly, to ponder these words, to ponder this vow. We'll have lots of opportunities in the upcoming weeks. And see and investigate what's the promise you're making to God and to the community, and to the one being baptized. But this morning, I want to focus on nurture and include. We say we'll follow the example of Christ, and I can think of no more powerful example of nurture and inclusion than Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
Think about it. These disciples for three years have been following Jesus through Galilee and Judea and Jericho and Jerusalem. They have gotten their feet calloused and dirty and cracked and broken and hurting. And they've been with Jesus pouring out love and healing to others, to the last, the least, and the lost. But now Jesus gathers them and prays for them and loves on them and nurtures them. And he goes around this table taking the role of, of one who would, the most menial servant in the household was the one who was to wash people's feet. And yet here is Jesus, their leader, their teacher, their Lord, kneeling in front of them and cradling these feet of theirs, nurturing the most vulnerable, difficult parts of them. Jerry Ishii pointed out in Bible study on Tuesday that, that these men would have been leaning into the table. They reclined when they ate, and they'd, they'd have their, their heads and their arms facing the table, but their feet were way back here where nobody could see in that outer circle of feet. Because who wants to see that, you know? And yet that is where Jesus goes to love them and to nurture them. I understand those disciples. I understand that, that desire to hide those parts of myself, of my personality, of my life that are broken and, and calloused and, and that I'm ashamed of. Those vulnerable spots that are too hard to bring in front of people. And yet, as Jesus sets the example for us, that is exactly what we are called to bring to the table of the church is our full selves, our vulnerability, our doubts, our struggles, our sins, our mistakes, all of it. And trust that in this body we can find nurture and forgiveness and grace and love. It's happened here just a few months ago, actually about a year ago, as part of our Project Thrive conversations, we gathered people together to share stories about what brought you to West End, United Methodist Church. Why do you stay? And when did you know that this was your spiritual home, your family? And we heard story after story from people, and almost all of them were moments when people felt vulnerable, people were broken and in pain, and they found in this place among these people love and forgiveness and comfort and hope. One gentleman told a story about he and his family had just started coming. They had just started visiting a Sunday school class. His father died in a... In there was visitation about an hour away from Nashville, and he's standing at the visitation, and, and here comes his Sunday school class. They surrounded him with a community of love. Or someone else who told the story of having lost her husband at a young age, and she would come to church every Sunday and sit in the pew and cry. And at times she felt embarrassed, and I shouldn't be crying in church, but again, if you can't cry in church... Where can you cry? People around her would hand her tissues and put their arm around her shoulder and just sit 
with her in her grief. And she said, this congregation healed me. There's story after story of that kind of love and connection, and it almost always happens when we are willing to share our brokenness, our struggles, our pain with each other. We are called to follow the example of Christ and nurture one another and be willing to cradle one another, even those things we would rather hide from each other. And we are called to include the new, to welcome the stranger. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of of being the new person and entering into a group that already knows each other, they have their inside jokes, their stories, they know and love each other well. Maybe it was a group, a, a group of friends, or maybe it was a Sunday school class, or, or a Bible study group, or, or some group that's already so loving and connected. But it can be hard to break into those, to feel welcome when you're not part of the shared story of that group. And so we have these two invitations in our baptismal vow, to nurture one another, to know each other's stories, to love each other unconditionally, and always to remain open in heart and mind and spirit to the new one who might come to us. To welcome their stories, their experiences, no matter how different from our own they might be. Because that is how God continues to bring beauty into the body of Christ. And when I think about inclusion and the radical inclusion we are called to in the life of the church, I think about Jesus washing those disciples' feet and what happened when he came to Judas. Because Judas Iscariot is still in the room. And so Jesus kneels at Judas' feet and washes them, knowing already that Judas has betrayed him, knowing what Judas is about to do when he leaves that table, and yet Jesus loves him anyway and treats him with the same love and grace he treats the others. I wonder if Jesus was trying to say to Judas, I know already, and I forgive you in advance and I am leaving the door open for you to come back to me. We know that Judas wasn't able to do that. But I believe from Jesus' point of view, Judas was included in that love. And if Jesus was that inclusive, how are we to live into the example that he set? Jesus sets a high standard for the church that we love one another as he has loved us. There are some ways we live into that so well, and there are still so many ways that we and I need to grow and stretch ourselves to do even more, to love even more radically as Jesus loves. But it helps me to remember the very first phrase of our response in that baptismal covenant. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We can be the church God calls us to be with God's help. May it be so at West End United Methodist Church. May it be so in every church all around the world.